First Samuel 1, 2 through 8. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penaini. Penaini had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanai to sacrifice the word, <clears throat> sacrifice to the Lord, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penaini, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. But because, God, <clears throat> but because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept, and she would not eat. Her husband Elkaniah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? song is my favorite Christmas song of all, and it was written in 1843, almost 180 years ago, by a French poet. And then a Jewish composer set this to music, and we are still celebrating this beautiful song about Jesus' birth. Won't you please join us?
Once then they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life 
and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying and her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Hey, uh, thank you, band, and uh, for all the, the leading us in that music and worship. And good morning, everybody. Uh, you know, I look out here, and you've all brushed your teeth and combed your hair, and you're here in worship. And, and some of you are worshiping at home with bedhead and halitosis. Praise the Lord. We're all one faith family together. And uh, this year, uh, of course, I have a, uh, some of you know, but some of you may not, is that we have a Christmas present for you from Faith Westwood and me. And uh, that we have copies of this print of Jesus on the cross with his finger pointed toward the viewer as if to say, I'm doing this for you. And if you email us at info at faithwestwood.com, then we would love to send you one, even if you're uh, worshiping online some other part of the country. But we also have them here in the house uh, today in the building. So if after worship, uh, those of you who are here want to go to the counter that's opposite the coffee bar. There's a stack of them there. Help yourself. Take one. You can take an extra one or two if you want to give away to others you think might appreciate them. Just help yourself. Uh, this drawing was, was uh, created by my son. And the original hangs in my office. And the prints are 8 by 10, so... You know, if you uh, get an 8 by 10 frame, you could frame it if you'd like to. Um, and uh, anyway, they'll be available all month. And of course, as, as Russ was saying, Christmas Eve is Saturday. And I hope that you will think about who you might invite to Christmas Eve worship. You know, we sing Go Tell It on the Mountain. Uh, but, you know, is there anybody we could invite? And so on my way here, as I was driving here this morning, I thought, okay, I think there are three houses on my street that people I know that I would say, hey, you know, if, you don't have, if you're going to be around on Christmas and you don't have a place to go, you're always welcome uh, at my church. And uh, so I'm going to take a few extra cards today and, and plan to do that this week. You know, after the shepherds saw the, the baby lying in the manger, what did, the, what did they do? They went out in the town and it says they spread the word. And so we're like that like those shepherds that went out and just spread the word. Uh, now, uh, before I get into the message, I want us to pray together uh, this Advent prayer that's adapted from uh, today's uh, prayer and today's Lectio 365 app. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pause now to be still 
and once again listen to your voice saying, I am making everything new. Lord, the world around me is a hubbub of competing voices, while your voice from the heavenly throne cuts through all the worrisome chatter of the earth. I am making everything new. Lord, my own heart is home to fears and weakness. My thoughts, words, and actions reveal my brokenness. I turn to you once again and listen for your promise. I am making everything new. Lord, I pray for refugees who have been forced to flee from their homes. I pray for all who are struggling to make ends meet today. May we all listen for your loud voice of hope declaring, I am making everything new. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our series called Miracle Children of the Bible, and this morning's miracle child is Samuel. Samuel and his not drunk mother. They go by and going by the story. Anyway, the theme of this series is that all the Old Testament points us to Jesus. And I believe that is true of Samuel and his mother Hannah, that they point us to Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, the newly pregnant Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and Mary erupts in poetic praise to God. Now, we traditionally call this, uh, these 10 verses, the Magnificat, because in the Latin version, that's the first word, Magnificat. Uh, and in the traditional English translation, it begins, uh, my soul magnifies, Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. And it goes on to say how the Lord will bring down arrogant rulers and lift up the humble. God will bring justice for the poor and give food to the hungry. Now, the closest parallel in the Bible to Mary's Magnificat is the song of Hannah. Did you know that? In, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah begins, My heart rejoices in the Lord. And she goes on to say how God hears the arrogant words of the powerful who oppress. But God will bless the poor and hungry, just, just like in, in Mary's song. But the similarities between Samuel and Jesus are even more amazing. And I want to give you three of them today. First, in their youth, Samuel and Jesus give us a foretaste of their adult calling. Well, I don't know if you know this story, but it's uh, about Samuel when he was a boy. His home is in the tabernacle along with the, the high priest Eli and his family. And one night, Samuel hears a voice calling his name. So he gets up and goes to Eli. Wake up. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. A little later, Samuel, again, hears a voice calling his name. And so he goes to Eli again. Here I am. Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Sound like some parenting experiences some of you have had? Go back to bed. The whole thing happens a third time. But this time, Eli, Eli tells young Samuel that when he hears his name, he should say, Speak, Lord, 
Your servant is listening. So Samuel does that. He hears his name called and he says those words. And God speaks to him, even as a, as a child. And, then, and in Luke chapter 2, uh, Jesus, we, with that little episode of him at 12 years old, and he spends his time at the temple uh, talking with the teachers, and he amazes with the, with the questions he asks and the answers that he gives. And, of course, uh, Mary and Joseph are, you know, scared to death. Where is our kid gone? We can't find him anywhere. And young Jesus tells them that he must be doing his father's work. So as youth, both Samuel and Jesus are in the house of God, and we get a foretaste of their adult calling. Here's the second one. The scriptures give us a striking similar description of Samuel and Jesus maturing from boys to men. Here's the verse about Samuel. It says, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. What does it say about Jesus? Luke's gospel. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. I mean, clearly, Luke is portraying Jesus as the next Samuel. Wouldn't you say? Now, here's the third one. Both Samuel and Jesus speak for God with integrity and trustworthiness. Um. God, you know, this, during the time of Samuel is when Israel had their first two kings. And God picked out Saul and then David to be those kings. And, but the choice was announced through Samuel. God told Samuel who those kings were going to be. And then Samuel was the one who anointed each of those kings as if to say, this is the person God picks. And everyone recognized that Samuel was the man of God. He, and he never used his position as, as priest and prophet for his personal gain. Now, in the whole scope of the Bible, Jesus is more significant than Samuel. But they were similar in that way in how they spoke uh, for God with integrity and trustworthiness. One time Jesus said, whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So, all the Old Testament points to Jesus, including a prophet named Samuel. When I was a kid, uh, probably nearly every November, uh, Sears would send to our house a toy catalog. Anybody else used to get those toy catalogs? Yeah. And so my, my three brothers and I would pour through it you know, looking for things that we might want and circling things that we really longed for. And, and by Christmas Day, that catalog would be dog-eared, torn, and totally tattered. One year, one of my little brothers on Christmas Day opened all his presents, and he was quite happy with them, but he was still sad and disappointed. Why? He wanted a new Christmas catalog for Christmas. That's what he longed for. Today, we examine the longing of our hearts. You know, there may be no better question to, to examine ourselves by ask, than by asking, what do I long for? What do I long for? This week, I talked with a single mom 
who longs for her, her own apartment to raise her son. And I talked with a friend who longs for the kids he mentors to have a better life. What do you long for? Let's open our Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. There's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. If you brought your own, even better. And if you don't have a Bible to read at home uh, that's, you know, understandable to you and all, we would love to give you one today. Uh, you could ask anybody you see wearing a name tag. Um, they're, they're on a rack inside the east entrance in a little uh, place called the Welcome Center. And there's uh, several Bibles there. You can just grab one, pick it, take it, uh, pick it up, take it home. It's yours. Um, now, one, before we look at this, one thing I want to say is that God put up with polygamy in the Old Testament, but it was not his plan for marriage. And by the time of Jesus, the Jews had kind of learned that lesson, and they no longer practiced polygamy. Now, but in today's scripture, Elkanah has two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina taunts Hannah because Penina has children, and Hannah has none. At the end of verse 5, it says of Hannah, the Lord had closed her womb. Hmm. The Lord had closed her womb. One thing to remember about the Old, the Old Testament is that many times it does not make a distinction between what God wants and what God allows. All right? Because everything that happens in the earth, even the most terrible, tragic things that happen, we can say at least in one sense, well, God allows it, even if it's not what God wants. And so in the Old Testament, they don't often make that distinction. The more we get to know God, though, the more we can distinguish between what God allows and what God wants. And I would say, probably, that, that the closing of Hannah's womb represents what God allows, not what he wants. Okay? Now, the last part of verse 6 says, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. We think, well, how cruel is that? Huh? What a toxic situation. And, matter of fact, it led to an eating disorder uh, it's, this is the latest episode of Real Housewives of Rama, right here. And verse 7 says, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. And husbands, if you have ever, husbands, if you've ever said the wrong thing trying to cheer up your wife, well, you can identify with verse 8. Here it is. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Husbands, never ask your wife if you mean more to her than ten of anything, okay? <laughs> Not a good situation. Every year, the family traveled to the house of the Lord, the sacred tent called the tabernacle, to worship. Every year of childless disappointment, Hannah calls upon the Lord. Let's go to verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. 
Let's, let's talk about infertility for a moment, shall we? About 10% of couples today experience infertility lasting two years or more. About a third of those, about a th the problem is with the man. About a third of the time, the problem is with the woman. And the remaining third, uh, the problem is either unidentified or with both. Infertility is so hard to understand. It certainly was an issue for families in the Bible. Some eventually had a child. Some did not. I know a couple who are devoted followers of Jesus. They believe in prayer. They've seen God work in powerful ways. And yet the child that they have longed for and prayed for has not come. But even more than they long for a child, they long to serve the Lord with all their lives. And now they find themselves serving in a way that they probably could not if they had children. Note also that Hannah does not assume that God is punishing her for something she's done. She doesn't assume that God is cruel to her. Instead, she just brings all of that deep anguish out to the Lord, uh, not, not even holding back her bitter tears. And you know, I think sometimes like Hannah, we need to pray that way. We need to pray through our grief and disappointment and don't hold it back and just kind of let loose all of that anguish and anger. At one point, Hannah goes to the house of the Lord to pray, and the priest Eli sees her praying. Her, he can see her lips moving, but doesn't hear anything coming out of her voice. So here's another guy that says the exact wrong thing to say. Okay, In verse 14, Eli says, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Hannah replies defiantly but respectfully in verse 15. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. She could have turned to alcohol to, to drown her grief, but instead she pours out her soul to the Lord. I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord for this church, especially this last year. And I pour out my soul for some of you because I know the tough stuff you're going through. And many of you do the same. You pour out to God the longings of your heart. You know, as, as Jesus' people, we learn to do that. We, and we learn to let him shape the longings of our hearts. So, so that we, we do not long for wealth or success or fame or prestige, the things that the world longs for. Because Jesus told us to not set our hearts on those things. He said, seek first God's kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Because it means Jesus longs for us to live a righteous, holy life, to love God and love our neighbors 
to fight for justice for the poor, to show compassion to the suffering, and to announce the good news that everyone can experience God's love and forgiveness. And when we long for a life like that, and when we long for that with a depth with which Hannah longed for a child, that's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. So, what are you longing for? Will you let Jesus shape your longings? Here, during this last week of Advent, I would invite you to ask the Lord to to shape your longings. Because if we do not long for Jesus, and if we do not long for the life he came to bring us, then Christmas is just a holiday we made up. Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus, help me to long for you the way Hannah longed for a child. Oh Lord, reshape the longings of my heart. I long to live a righteous and holy life before you. I long for love to be the the driving energy in my life. I long for a world of justice and compassion and peace. I long for all things to be made new. And Jesus, you taught us a prayer that reshapes our longings, and together we pray it now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand.